0: Well, hey friends, happy Sunday, it's a Big Game Day. I legally can't say the name of the big game that happens on today because uh, I think they'll shut down YouTube and Facebook. But anyway, it's Big Game Day, so hopefully you're gonna enjoy that game either on your own or with some other people. Uh, before we get into the message, a couple things. First of all, let's pass the piece, but let's do that a little bit differently than how we've been doing it. Today, I want you to think of somebody who you feel really grateful for. Uh, you're just thankful that they're in your life or you're thankful for maybe some interaction you've had with them, would you just send them a message? Maybe it doesn't even have to be right now, but at some point in the next hour or two, and just let them know, hey, I was thinking about you and I'm really thankful for you. So go ahead and do that at some point in time today as a way to pass the peace of Christ to someone. Uh, secondly, I want to let you know uh, and an email went out on Friday about something that we have an opportunity to do, which is um, uh, to put together some Valentine's Day cards for senior citizens uh, in our area. We've been invited in to do this with some other churches and other organizations by Dan McConaughey, a local government official, uh, who uh, is basically trying to encourage senior citizens who may be in uh, nursing homes or in some way shut in. uh, And we're just encouraging our kids to write a little Valentine's Day cards and send them in. And so if you would follow the directions that Krista sent you, uh, for those of you with kids, that would be awesome. If you need more info, email her or call call Krista, uh, and she'll give you the details that you need. uh, for how to do that exactly, but that's going to be due on Tuesday the 9th, so we have got to jump on this really quickly with your kids, but it should be simple. You don't need to do anything elaborate. It's just a really uh, easy, simple way for us to serve some people in our community. Uh, we're going to dive into the Word, but before I do, let me pray for us, okay? Uh, Father, I am coming before my friends today just super humbled um, by the work, God, that, that you're doing in my life, Lord, by, by how um, great and loving you are, Lord. I'm moved by your... Um... By your kindness and your mercy towards me, Lord, I'm moved by your love for us, God. And and I I want so badly today, Lord, for your love and and who you are to come across in the words that I say. God, I want this to be more than an exercise of just um, uh, speaking words and just going through a routine like we do each Sunday, God. But I want you to penetrate hearts and minds, God, and I know that that is your heart. So I pray right now by your spirit that those watching and listening would change the posture of their heart to receive the very word of God, to receive the life that comes from the word, that it would, uh, it would even uh, separate truth from lies, that it would illuminate areas in our lives where we're in darkness, God, that somehow we'll walk away today with a greater understanding, God, of your love and the love that you want from us, Lord. God, and again, I just pray that this won't be just a simple routine that we go through, God, but that we will, in honor and reverence, hear the word of God. Thank you, Lord, for the work you're doing in my heart, God. Thank you for the ways that you're revealing your love in my life in ways I couldn't explain, God. Thank you for the love that's growing in my life, and I pray that that will be poured out today on the screens watching and on people listening. In your name we pray. Amen. So we have been in this series uh, looking at first love uh, now for a few weeks, and we've been looking at how God is inviting us in to understanding exactly what it means for him to be the most important thing in our life, to rediscover or discover for the first time what it means for him to be our first love, what it means to actually love God. Last week, we looked at, uh, started to look at, at, at Matthew chapter 10, verse 27, and this idea where we have this exchange. Jesus has us with this young lawmaker where uh, he says that we should love the Lord our God with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our strength, and with all our mind, and how that's a long-standing biblical tradition of the kind of love that God expects from his people. Um, and we broke that down a little bit. Uh, we said that, uh, that what God is asking for there is not necessarily for us to think of these as individual pieces of what make up a human being, like heart plus mind plus soul plus strength equals a human, but actually that these are different pieces or different ways to explain the whole or refer to a whole human being that you can refer to the whole human as the heart, the soul, the mind, or the strength. And so basically what God is asking from us is to love him with everything we have, every aspect of who we are, the totality of our being, to put him first in all of that. However, we said it's helpful to maybe pull apart these pieces a little bit to just look at different angles or different lenses at looking at how it is that we're meant to love God, and so we're going to do that this week, and then for the next couple of weeks, is take one of these aspects and just kind of look at them. What, what, how does this help us understand what it means to love God? And today we're going to look at the heart and how what it means to love the Lord your God with all of your heart. Now, as I'm looking around me, uh, as I'm walking through grocery stores and you know, kind of seeing TV commercials, it's very clearly Valentine's season. There are hearts everywhere. They're on all different kinds of cards and decorations and pieces of candy. There are heart-shaped Reese's, Reese's cups and other kinds of candy and cards and all that kind of stuff. And it's funny to me because uh, I don't know how we decided that this is the shape of a heart. And that that was what we would think about when we, or we would draw when we are talking about the heart. Uh, I'm not sure where that came from because that's not at all what a heart actually looks like. Actually, it would be pretty gross if we put an actual picture of a real physical heart on a card and gave it to someone or made chocolate that looked like, I'm sure that probably exists somewhere, Uh, but that would be really weird uh, for, for us. And it's interesting for us to be talking about the heart right now and because what we're going to learn today is that the heart is a little bit different than what we think. And what it means to love God with our heart is a little bit different than what we might think is actually, as a matter of fact, I feel like, man, I learned so much this week about what the Bible has to say about the heart and about what love is when we love God with all of our heart. So we're going to dig into this today. And just as an aside, I was reminded uh, just to, in the last couple of weeks of a, when I was a kid, maybe second or third grade, I, uh, I had to write a story for class. And we had to like illustrate the story. We had to come up with the story from scratch. And for whatever reason, I was inspired, uh, this is around Valentine's Day, to write a story about the Valentine's Day dragon. I don't know where this idea came from, what made me think of it, but it, it was there. And this dragon did not breathe fire. It breathed hearts. Now you have to verify with this with my mom because I only have just like a recollection of it, but I think it's a thing and I have no idea why I'm sharing it with you other than I just wanted you a little window into my weirdness and know that in Valentine's Day, I always think about a Valentine's Day dragon. All right, that has nothing to do with anything what we're talk about. Let's dig back in. So the heart in like biblical terms, if you wanna think about what does the heart mean, uh, what what is, when the Bible talks about the heart, what's it referring to? Well, for sure, Throughout the Bible, they understood that those who God chose to write the scriptures, uh, they understood that the heart was a physical organ, that it was actually something that was a necessary part of the human workings just to make our body work. And actually, it's interesting. There is... um, a little bit of like, seems like almost confusion or kind of conflating the ideas of what the kidneys do and what the heart does, which obviously we don't connect those ideas at all, but in the biblical mind, they were almost connected, but they understood there was a physical aspect. But most often the heart, when it's referred to, actually has kind of like a metaphorical kind of sense. They didn't necessarily actually believe that things like feelings and emotions were felt in the physical organ, although maybe they did. It's more that they understood that there was a place within side of us as human beings that is the core of who we are, where our deepest longings, our desires, and our thoughts are located, where if we could look inside a human being, we would find a place, so to speak where our thoughts, our loves, our desires, our longings are kind of found. It's the, it was the way that the Bible has to talk about kind of the hidden place inside of us uh, that influences everything in our lives, the, the inner core. The, if we speak about the heart, we're talking about what is essential to the core of a person. It's maybe hidden from sight, but it influences everything you can see. It's the place that, in, in biblical terms, the, the heart is the place from which all of my actions and all of my thoughts flow. It's the place where my motivations are found and my or my will or my desire. They're all associated with the heart. This phrase, um, in uh, this little sentence in Proverbs 4.23 kind of sums this up. Above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. Above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. This is like super profound when you when you think about what this is saying. Everything we do flows from the heart. Basically, whatever deepest desire, whatever feeling you have, whatever. Um, whatever the longings are, that comes from a place inside of you, and it influences everything that you do. It influences every action that you take. And it's coming from inside of us. Jesus echoes this idea a little bit. Matthew chapter 15, verses 18 through 19, he says, but the things that come out of a person's mouth uh, come from the heart, and these defile him. For out of the heart come, and then he lists uh, kind of a a bunch of evil things, evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, uh, theft, false testimony, slander. Basically, everything that's in a person's heart is going to somehow influence their actions. And so that's why the writer of Proverbs warns us that we should guard our hearts Uh, If you grew up in Christianity uh, around dating, this verse was kind of used to basically talk about how you shouldn't date people who aren't Christians. And I'm not saying that you should, Uh, 100%, you should guard your heart in that way. But actually, it's saying even something more deeper. It's basically, be aware of what you let exist in your heart. Be aware of what's going on inside of there. Be aware of what you let influence your heart because what you allow to influence your heart, allow to form your heart, it has enormous implications on every aspect of your life, on who you are and about what you will do. It is, the heart is the source of all of the things that we we do in this life, all the things that occupy our attention. It all traces its origins back to the heart. And so if the origin is bad, then everything is bad. But if the origin is good, then everything is good. So a, a couple examples maybe to help us flesh this out. I absolutely love Fiji water. You know, the, it's got the little kind of tropical scene on the front, the front of it. I don't know why, but I just think it tastes better than every other kind of bottled water. I just really like it. And In my mind, I imagine it comes from this beautiful tropical place. And so every bottle of Fiji water comes from this incredible source. Obviously, that's what they're trying to sell you. And don't tell me different because I love that stuff. And I don't want to know if it just literally came out of a tap somewhere. Because I, in my mind, I have this, this idea that there's this beautiful source and every bottle of water comes from that beautiful source. So let's just for, assume for a second that that's true then every bottle of water that we open that comes from that source will be good because of the source that it came from. However, if that source was tainted in some way, if there was something toxic in that water, then every bottle of water that came from that source would carry that toxin with it and could potentially make people sick or something like that. So that's just one example. Another example, actually, I think that's even more helpful for me is thinking about the heart like the operating system. So, almost all of you, I'm sure, own a phone or an iPad or something. The hardware of your device is the thing that you actually touch, the physical thing that you're touching. So, right now, I'm looking at a phone and I'm looking at the physical kind of phone. On that phone is a digital operating system. And that operating system is what actually makes the phone do what it does. Without that, the apps don't work, it's just a box. It needs that operating system to communicate and actually make phone calls or turn up the volume or to use your favorite app on the phone. And that operating system has to work a certain way in order for the apps to work on it. If it's broken, then the apps won't work. And so the operating system is so essential to the whole phone working properly that it can't work properly if the operating system is bad. Now here's the deal. And I'm going to just ruffle some feathers. So I want you to brace yourself for where I'm about to go. A little bit of bad news. The Bible's assessment of the human heart is not very good. Our heart, according to kind of the universal kind of witness of Scripture, the source of our desires, of our feelings, of our thoughts, is fundamentally broken, is what the message of Scripture would be. Our operating system, the thing that causes everything in our life to work, that source within us that is supposed to be the place from which all good things flow, is broken. And it doesn't matter what you try to do to fix it on the outside. If you don't fix the source, the whole thing is broken in some way. Now, to be clear, the scriptures really want to illustrate that we were created good. Our heart was created good. There is no question about that. But once sin entered the picture, it's like it corrupted that source of life in us. It corrupted our desires, our devotion. It corrupted our, our longings, uh, corrupted our feelings. Those things that were meant to love God, and meant to love people, and meant to love ourselves rightly became fundamentally, fundamentally broken. Again, it's not the way that God made us, but it's the result of the activation of sin in our lives. So that from front to back, actually the, the, the common theme is that the human heart is in deep trouble. Here's what Jeremiah chapter 17, verse nine says. Is he's talking about how God's people have turned their hearts away from him. And this is what he says. The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? I mean, that's pretty hardcore language. The heart is deceitful above all things. And it can't be cured. Basically, here's what he's saying. We don't even know what is in our hearts. We, We can't even access what's in it. We think we know what's in there, but we really don't know. We think we know what we want, but we really don't know. And even if we could see it, what is there, isn't really good. We can't understand it, and therefore we can't cure it on our own. That's what Jeremiah is saying. Our ability to love the way we were designed to love, whether we're talking about love for God, love for people, love for ourselves, it is fundamentally broken. The heart is deceitful above all things, and it's beyond, all, beyond cure. I kind of wish that we could just ignore that, and act like that wasn't true. But again, this is kind of the scripture's universal assessment of the human heart. I actually try to really dig in and try try to find positive things to say in my studies and preparing for this message. But the scripture really doesn't have much positive to say about the human heart. Actually, most often it, it uses terms like stubborn, or broken, or rebellious, or hard, or confused, or divided to explain Uh, the human heart. This is how the scriptures depict our heart. It's a place that was meant to be the wellspring of life. It was meant to be that place from from inside of us where all good things flow, where our love for God and love for people flow. But that place is broken. And it's unresponsive to God's love. (laughs) Actually, that's one of the most common metaphors that's used both in the New Testament and Old to describe the human heart is that it's somehow hardened. It's unresponsive to God's love. The problem isn't necessarily just that we don't love God. It's that we don't know how to respond to God's love. The human heart is broken. And if this is true, if our hearts are, are broken and confused, and I think that we have to say this because if we, we want to take Jesus seriously, this is his assessment of the human heart. This isn't just like Old Testament, hardcore prophet scriptures. This is Jesus, the loving, caring master that we follow, the King, the Lord that we, that we know, the rabbi, the teacher who sits with people in their pain. He is the one who says out of the, the heart flows so many evil things. Now, if this is true, then the old advice, again, I'm going to ruffle some feathers here, to follow your heart is absolutely foolish. To follow our heart is one of the most absolutely foolish things we can do. At best, at best, our hearts are divided. At best, our hearts are divided. Think about the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 7 and his famous kind of wrestling. I, I want to do these things, but the things I want to do, I can't, I don't do. I, I want to do the right thing, but I can't do the right thing. And, and we have this person who, who sounds so conflicted because his heart, he knows as a person before Jesus, as a person before his heart is given over into to the Lord is so divided. There's so much confusion going on in it. So at, at best, our hearts are divided and confused. Think, it makes me think about the idea of having um, mixed motives. So we often say, yeah, I'm not sure if that person has really pure motives. And by that we mean, I'm not sure that they have the best possible intent. Maybe there's something good that they're going to do, but maybe that's mixed with some other selfish motivation. And actually, I think that more often than not, we do have mixed motives in the same way that we have mixed loves. It's very rare that we purely have just one good motivation in, our, in ourselves in the same way. It's, it's rare, if ever, that we ever just have pure love, purity of heart, as we'll talk about later. So that's the best case scenario. Worst case scenario, our hearts are utterly wicked and is really foolish to follow what's in our hearts. Following our hearts is what leads people to justify lying to protect their image, cheating to pass a test. Following our hearts is the thing that leads a person to leave their spouse or to to commit adultery. It's the thing that causes people to leave their kids for some better life. It's the thing that causes us to say hurtful things sometimes. I'm I'm just following my heart. I'm just saying what I feel. Following our heart, those are simple examples, harmful examples, but following, your, following our heart is the same thing that led people to storm the Capitol building and ended up with people dead. Following our heart is the same thing that caused people to fly planes into the Twin Towers on 9-11. Following their heart is exactly what Hitler did and ended up murdering millions of Jews. Why? Because the heart is deceitful above all things and it has no cure. It's beyond cure. It's hardened to the love of God. It's hardened in us. Now you might think it's crazy to to put these pieces together to to compare Hitler with with the simple sin of lying. And I know it's utterly ridiculous to talk about that, but I'm just saying taken to its logical conclusion to follow what's in my heart is dangerous and disastrous for me because my heart is divided. My heart is deceitful. That's the bad news. But the good news is this, the biblical vision of the fundamental problem that God is like trying to overcome in humanity is not about fixing our behavior. It's not about keeping us from lying. It's not about keeping us from doing those bad things. It's not about fixing our behavior. It's about healing that hardened heart. It's about reviving that dead heart back to life. It's about rightly ordering our loves once again, the way that we were meant to. It's about reorienting our thoughts and our feelings the way that they're meant to be oriented towards him. Or like Jeremiah would say elsewhere, it's like taking that heart of stone and turning it into a heart of flesh. One that's once again responsive to God and to his love. Once again, that receives God's love and returns it back With his love. And again, I want to be really clear. I'm not saying that every person who has, um, is always as evil as they possibly could. Oh, thank God that that's not the case. Thank God that in his mercy, he restrains humanity from being as evil as we possibly could. It says all the way back in Genesis that every desire of the human heart was evil, which is what brought the flood, which God said, I will never do it again. It doesn't matter how evil and wicked humanity gets. I'm so, so thankful for that. So I don't want to just, I don't want to just assume that every human being is as evil as they possibly can be, but I want to just honestly lay out what the scriptures say and the scriptures say that our heart is deceitful and that we are deceived about our loves and what's in here and we really have to be careful About just saying, I'm gonna follow my heart. Because what God wants for us is to rescue our heart from ourselves. He wants to revive our heart back to life. It's like he wants to to, to kind of do like CPR on us and bring us back to life. Again, the good news, the promise is this is what the thing is that God wants to do: is that those who place their trust and their faith in Jesus, those who say, I know this person, Jesus, has something that is beyond what I can do for myself. And so I trust him with my life. I believe that this person has eternal life in their hands. And I'm going to fix myself to him. I'm going to follow him. I'm going to trust him with my life. When a person does that, God promises that he will put his love in our hearts. I love the scripture in Romans, it says that God, in chapter 5, it says that God has shed abroad the his love in our hearts by his spirit. Again, it's this picture of God, like, putting his love in us. And oftentimes, we read that scripture simply as us just... Um, Uh, having a deeper understanding that God loves us. And while that's super important, I think it's actually even more profound than that. It's that God is actually putting love in us, making making us capable for us to actually love again. The only one, the scriptures are clear, who actually knows what's in our heart He knows the thoughts of every human being. He knows the hidden things in our heart. He brings them out and and he can expose them to light. Even the things that we don't know, the spirit searches the things within us that we don't even understand. That God looks down on us and rather than just saying, I'm angry and how dare you, actually says, let me come into your heart and revive what's there. Let me bring you back to life. That one, that God who is love has rescued our hearts. And he enables us to love him. That's a part of what the gospel is all about. The good news that Jesus makes it possible for us to be reunited with God again so that our hearts can be reawakened again so that we can love God the way that we are intended to. You see, our desires, our feelings, our wants, our longings, the the things that we normally associate with the heart were always meant to be oriented toward him. God has always been uh, and created us to be, as we've already talked about, um, the the most important thing. He's always um, made us so that he is the most important thing in our lives. He was meant to be the thing that our heart wants above all else. Because when he is in the proper place in our heart when he is the kind of the thing that our love and our, and our desire and our devotion and our feelings and our thoughts, when they're occupied with him, everything else falls into its proper place in our life. So what God is trying to do in us is he's trying to rescue our heart from other loves so that we will rightly love him so that love will flow from our heart the way it's meant to be. He's trying to rescue us from other loves, from other things that are leaving us divided. He's trying to to redeem our hearts back to himself so that we won't be the person whose heart is wicked, who is deceitful and beyond cure, but instead as a person whose heart looks like his heart and who out of our heart flows all goodness, because it doesn't just have to be out of the heart flows all of these wicked things. Actually, what can happen is out of our heart can flow all of the things of God. See, the God who is love is remaking you in his image as a person who loves like he loves. The God who is love, if you have invited him into your life, if you have given your life over to him, he is remaking you in his image. So what that means is he is making you a lover like he is a lover. He's putting his love in your heart. He's making you a person who loves like he loves. He's making your heart pure. Everything God does, everything everything that God is about is good. Everything that God does is holy. Everything that God does comes from love and is for love and is about love. And He wants you to have that kind of pure heart. The way the Bible often talks about a heart that is good is a person who has a pure heart. That pure heart means essentially that there's a singularity in their devotion and desire, that there aren't these, these different things competing for our love, that we've decided that our gaze is fixed on who he is. And he knows that when that is the case, when there's no mixed love, when there's no mixed motives, that actually everything that will flow from that in our life in a way that it's meant to flow. So getting back then to the main point that we're talking about, what does it mean to love God with all of our heart? Well, first of all, let me just remind us that we can't do that on our own. We can't just love God with all of our heart without some intervention from God in our lives. And so one of the things that we're trying to lay out here is that as much as I want to love God, it's not something I can just mm, strain and love more. It's also got to be something that's more than just a positive feeling. I can have positive feelings about lots of people. It's got to be more than an affection, although it certainly includes that. It's a part of it. It's like uh, wanting to be with God is certainly a piece of it. But that's not what loving God with our whole heart is. If loving God with our whole heart if, if our heart is the thing uh, that is inside of us, that, that um, is the place and the source of all of our thoughts and all of our desires and all of our longings and all of our feelings, then they're giving that aspect of ourselves over to God is the way that we love God. Let me break it down just a little bit. Here's the way I would, I would describe it. That to love God with all of our heart is this, adopting an ongoing intentional posture of invitation and surrender to Jesus to align your core thoughts, desires, and feelings with his. That's a long sentence. I'm going to read it again and I'm going to break it down. A loving God with our whole heart is about adopting an ongoing, intentional posture of invitation and surrender to Jesus to align your core thoughts, desires, and feelings with his. Now, let me break down that mouthful. First of all, it's ongoing. I'm adopting an ongoing posture. Why? Because we don't want to get this impression that loving God is an all or nothing kind of thing. And in one sense, it is, because what God is asking of for us is to love him with all of ourselves. But it's actually an ongoing... Um, a program for our whole entire lives to learn how to love God more. So there won't ever be a day where I know where I will cross a threshold where I'm like, yep, I love God fully and completely with all of my heart. It's an ongoing endeavor. It's something I'm going to have to continue uh, to, to uh, pr- aspire to for the rest of my life to say, you know what? I know that there are parts of my heart that are are going to continue uh, to learn how to love God more. I just know that's going to be the case, and I want to say that so clearly up front because I don't want us to set up for failure. Because what happens is we have an idea in our mind of what we think that that will feel like or look like, and we never reach that ideal. Actually, what I have found is the more I, get, I uh, the more I fall in love with God, the more I realize there is so much more of Him to love and so much more of me to give, and it doesn't feel like a thing I have to do. It feels like a thing. I get to do. So it's an ongoing thing. It's a relational thing. Just like my relationship with my wife and my kids, I hope that I know them better and that they have more of my heart, more of my love, more of my devotion later in life than what they have right now. So don't think about this as as kind of a, I've got to cross a a, a threshold here, as more as this is an ongoing kind of project. So it's ongoing, not just a one-time thing. It's intentional because while God, is, um, while God is the one that's the primary one doing the work in my heart, I want to be really clear about this. It's God who is working in my heart to help me love him. It's an intentional pursuit. It's something we have to willfully engage in. We have to pursue it. You won't learn how to love God with all of your heart by just listening to me talk about it or by reading a book about it. Those things will be helpful on the journey, but there has to be a way where you say, you know what? I am going to give more of my heart over to God. I'm going to yield more of myself to him. And it has to be an intentional pursuit. It cannot be, it cannot be, it cannot be a passive thing. Look, passive Christianity does not work for anyone. I'm, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to press on this for right now passive Christianity, the kind of Christianity where you just show up and expect to be fed is not serving you, it's not serving God, and it's not serving anyone around you. What God is looking for are people who are hungry for more of him and hungry to know more of him, and it has to be an intentional pursuit. It doesn't mean that you have to have it all figured out. It doesn't mean that you can't have ups and downs. There are days where I pray more and days where I pray, pray less, but the reality is what God is looking for are people who will intentionally pursue him, a passive kind of Christianity is not the kind of Christianity. It's not the kind of discipleship that Jesus has invited us into. What he's invited us into is a relationship where we follow him, where we we leave everything behind and fix our cart to him. Like I say, wherever you're going, Jesus, I'm going with you. This is an intentional pursuit. And sometimes I think we get frustrated in our life because we expect that this will just happen to us. And the truth is that God is wanting to do something in us. But we have to intentionally pursue him and open ourselves up to him. With the same level of intentionality you've ever done anything well in your life, it needs to be even more than that. And I'm not talking about just applying efforts to uh, just one timely. I'm not talking about, again, not just straining yourself, but I'm saying, you know what? I, God, whatever it takes, I'm gonna learn more about who you are. Whatever it takes, I wanna learn how to love you more. Whatever it takes, God. That's what God is looking for from his people. And I'm telling you right now, I wanna just speak prophetically about our church, the future of our church and the future of what God wants to do in our church and in our community depends on us saying yes to pursuing him. And not just allowing our Christianity and our faith to be a passive thing that just happens to us. It has to be something that we open up ourselves with. i got to be careful. I might preach here. So it's got to be intentional. It's about invitation and surrender to Jesus. Let me put these ideas together. Invitation and surrender. So what is the intentional thing that we're doing? We're inviting Jesus in and we're surrendering to him. So the intentional thing isn't just doing more spiritual um, stuff. It's not just more busy, churchy stuff. It's about an intentional pursuit of inviting Jesus, saying, Jesus, I invite you into my life to open up my heart so that I will love you more. It's an intentional kind of thing. It's an intentional invitation. God, help me see. I'm inviting you to help me see what I can't see. I'm inviting you to show me areas in my life where I am giving my love and my devotion to something else. I'm inviting you to help me see when my feelings are running my life and are not oriented around who you are. I'm inviting you, God, to help me and then we surrender God. Uh, we surrender to, to God in this. We we not only invite Him, but then we say, when God shows us something, we actually say, "Okay, God, I'm going to lay that down. I'm going to set that aside. I realize I've been chasing money instead of You. I realize I've been chasing safety instead of You. I realize I've been chasing status instead of You. I realize that I've had an idea in my mind about relationships or about my identity or whatever it might be, and I know God that that's not Your heart for me, and so I'm just surrendering it to You right now. It's about Invitation. So, Jesus, come and invade me. And it's about surrender. The truth is, that's a dangerous kind of prayer because He will disrupt your life in all of the best ways, but it is so good. It's like a surgeon coming into our life and saying, This thing right here, if you don't remove this in your life, it will cause sickness and disease in your life. I'm not talking about literal sickness and disease. I'm talking about spiritual sickness and disease. We have to allow Him to come into our life and to take out the things that are destructive to us, that are destructive to the people around us because what he wants for us is wholeness and healing, and it cannot happen without invitation and surrender. And it's not just invitation and surrender to anything. It's invitation and surrender to a life like Jesus has. That's what it's about. Jesus, help my life to align with your life. I want my love to look like your love. I want my thoughts to to be like your thoughts. And we want this to happen at the core of who we are. Jesus is not in, in, interested in kind of uh, putting new apps on a bad system. That's what religion does. Religion says, do more of this kind of stuff and and, and it will just make you a better person. Jesus says, no, enough with that. We're not just putting more apps on the system. We're actually giving you a complete system overhaul. I'm going to change your heart from the inside out. I said it last week, or maybe it was the week before, the apostle Paul goes from someone who is murdering Christians, who writes 1 Corinthians chapter 13, the love chapter that can only happen by a transformation that God does in the core of our being. And I'm telling you today, I am not the same person I used to be 20 years ago. I'm not the same person even I was five years ago because God is changing me in the core of who I am. And I know that that's what he wants for all of us. And I have so far to go in my love for God. He wants to heal our operating system. He wants to rewire the things that are broken in us, reorient our love and set us free from carrying the burdens that we're carrying in this life unnecessarily because our heart is deceitful and because we're desiring things that aren't good for us. And instead, God wants to give us an upgrade in all of that so that we begin to live the life that Jesus lived. That's his heart. Is that the, the life that Jesus lived on this planet? It's the life that you get to live on this earth, that you get to experience life abundantly, that you get to uh, go through difficult experiences like Jesus does going to the cross, but with joy set before him, that you get to experience what it looks like to have streams of living water flowing from within you. This is his heart. And it's only going to happen by dedicating our heart. It's not about a feeling. Loving God with our heart is not about a feeling, even though we think that. Loving God with our whole heart is about adopting an ongoing intentional posture of invitation and surrender to align our our core thoughts with who Jesus is, our desires, our thoughts, and our feelings. That's what it's all about. So what I want to do right now is to give you space to take communion today with this message in mind. And what we'll do is we'll put the words up on the screen of the confession that we've been doing the last couple weeks in prayer. And if you're on your own or with your other people, you can choose to do whatever you want to do with this right now. But I would encourage you to do some, to spend some time examining your heart and just asking God, is there any part of my heart right now is not fully committed to you? Is there any part of your life that you haven't invited Jesus into, that you haven't surrendered your heart to because he wants to awaken things in your heart? He wants that, that cold hardness that's been going on. He wants that the callousness and the bitterness that's been there for a while. Uh, he, he wants to come, the, the, that to come alive in you. So I want you to take just a minute while you're taking communion and take a minute to confess that to the Lord. Just say, God, there's these pieces here. And as you do that, I want you to remember that communion is the sign that God wants this for you. His new covenant is the covenant that for, that's that's symbolized in the in the bread and in the juice or in the in the wine that He is going to give you a heart of flesh instead of a heart of stone. So when you take communion today, it's a reminder of God's gracious gift and His love for you that He wants to put His love in your heart today. And today, I want to ask you to make a new commitment to love God with all of your heart. The way he's called us to. So you can go ahead and do a little reflection and then take communion on your own whenever you are. And then let me just pray this prayer blessing. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would move in the hearts of my friends that are watching today and that you would stir us up to deep, passionate love for you, God. That, that every thought and intention and desire of our heart would not be evil, but would be good because you have shed your goodness and your love in our heart by your spirit. I pray, Jesus, that a vision of you who is able to save us to the uttermost, totally and completely redeem every aspect, every disordered desire, every disordered love. God, I pray that that would permeate our hearts today and awaken us to something new with you, God. And let us, our hearts and lives be filled with joy and peace and love and the things of the kingdom of God. We ask this in your name. Amen.